this morning I would like to share with you uh, uh, some of my thoughts about one of the most interesting prophets that we are going to encounter. However, we are basically beginning this uh, season of our 12 minor prophets with major messages. This is prophet number three. How many do we have to go through? Now, hang in there with me. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll do fall with the minor prophets. I mean, they have a very, very dark, a very dreary message for Israel. But I wonder if that dark and dreary message that was for Israel and Judah back then applies to us today. I'm going to say it does. In many ways, it's very much related to our life today because human beings have always responded to God in the same way in almost every generation. Human human beings have responded to God in the same manner in almost every generation. We see the patterns. It may have been manifested in different ways, but we see the patterns of the same kind of behaviors, the same kind of reactions, the same kind of idolatry, the same kind of, you know, we we just got it. It's in us to be broken, to be sinful, to just become our own gods and go after and create other gods. And the Old Testament stories tell us about those tendencies of humanity. And then in the New Testament, it transfers those tendencies in humanity to the church, to you and I, as we are the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, In the series that I am teaching, uh, the minor prophets for major messages, they basically proclaim God's message. A prophet is somebody that proclaims the oracles of God. It is not someone that tells you the future. A prophet of God tells you the future because it is in the oracles of God, not because, or or it is one of the consequences of breaking the law of God. We don't have to read what the package says on the side warning because we know now what the the package in the side says warning about. If you smoke this sticks, you're going to get cancer. Okay? So the prophets are like that warning. They warn the people of Israel on how they have gone astray one way or the other. They guide the people of Israel how to come back to God. And we find the repetitious ideas of the people leaving God and God calling them, repenting, and reinstituting them. However, in this prophecy in Amos, the people never went back to God. Can you believe that? They didn't repent. They just kept with their hard-headed, hard hearts and continued on along. But in the first story, in the first uh, of, the, of the prophets that, 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 we were, that we were talking about, uh, it was Hosea. And in Hosea, we found out that though the people are unfaithful, though you and I can be very unfaithful to God, God is still faithful because God cannot deny who God is. And this is one of the things that we're discovering. When we began into this journey, we began to discover that each one of the prophets may show us a side about God, a side of God, an attribute of God's character is being manifested to those people. So Hosea was the first one, and we saw God's faithfulness. In Joel, Joel, which is the Joel, the actual pronunciation, which means 
the Lord is God, we learn about God's sovereignty, that God is in charge of every aspect of our life. God is in charge of every aspect in history. God is in charge even of your little, perhaps, misly life. That God made sure that in God's great providence, in God's sovereignty, that you were taken care of by being brought, by being called into the family of Christ. And we heard last Sunday that nothing created, nothing can separate us from the sovereign, magnificent love of God, which is manifested to us in Christ Jesus. Today I want to share with you about Amos. And how Amos, uh, uh, some of you who are going to Sunday school with me, we do talk about these prophets before we come to the service here. And, and we discover that Amos was one of the few prophets who did not go to a prophetic school. Oh, yes, the prophets went to school. They studied the law of, of, of the Lord. They studied the history of their country because it was what the prophets did. So they went to school, but Amos was not. Amos was a shepherd. And Amos was also in, in agriculture. He actually grew figs. We know that. It tells us. In the document, it tells us that. We also know that he's from Tekoa, Georgia. I mean, from Tekoa. Not from Tekoa, Georgia. From Tekoa. I'm confusing all these names. From Tekoa, Georgia. I mean, from Tekoa uh, uh, down in, 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 um, in Israel, in Judah. No, in Israel. And then he was sent to preach itinerantly for only two years. That's it. And then you go back home to, to gardening again. Up in Judah. So he was what's called an itinerant preacher. He was assigned for two or three years to go and prophesy to the people in the northern ten tribes of Israel. And guess what? His message was so well received that people built homes. They built parties to receive him. No way. That didn't happen. Israel was experiencing a fabulous monetary time. They were prosperous. Oh, they had it going on. They were rich. They had whatever they wanted. They had their plasma TVs. They had their club memberships to the golf course. They had their access to Lake Lanier with their homes next by it. They had it going on. And it was good. And it was comfortable. And it was quiet. The borders, actually the two kings who were in that period in the north was Uzziah and Jeroboam. Both of them were expanding their territories in the divided kingdom. So things were good. The northern kingdom was doing good business with the Phoenicians who were very crafty, amazing business people in the entire Mediterranean. So if you did business with the Phoenicians, you were doing good business in the world those days. But the Lord had a pick had a bone to pick, is that the word? Had a bone to pick with Israel. In their prosperity, they forgot about God. That's not surprising, is it? That's not surprising at all. If you study people who have made it in, in, in the lottery or have made it financially, the more money, the less aware of God they are. Some of them, not everybody. But the tendency is there because now I can handle it myself. I don't need God. That is why Christianity flourishes in the first century among the poor slaves. Because they needed God. 
The ones who were in power, the one, the Roman pagan uh, elite who was in power, they didn't need God. Actually, the church grew out of slaves and women. Yeah. When Paul is telling the women and the slaves to be submitted to their masters and their husbands, it's not because there's some hierarchy there. It's because Paul is telling them, if you want to be able for your husband to let you come to church, serve him well, he won't have an excuse to stop you from coming to church. If you were a slave, serve your master well so that you can come. Because he won't have anything against you. Because your service is good. But they forget that. And they begin to have parties and festivals. And they begin to use their sanctuaries for parties and festivals. And they forgot about God. And in the book of, 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 of Amos, we see several uh, uh, poetic, uh, it's a beautiful Book because we think that Amos may have proclaimed the sermon first, and then when he went back home, he wrote it down and he crafted it with beautiful poetry. That's styles of poetry that are not to be found anymore except in old Hebraic literature. The seven questions, the five visions that he has, and the three main sins that God proclaims against Israel in that day. One of the images that God uses in the book, is the image of the plumb line. How many of you know what a plumb line is? How many of you have seen a plumb line? I've seen one. Well, it looks like that. That looks like a plumb line. Now, what it happens there is that plumb lines are used in construction. They're used by architects, by engineers, by general contractors, and by all of us who are wannabe lovers of HGTV and DIY. We don't mind having to purchase a thing two or three times because we're going to do it. And that's fun. So some of us may know what a plumb line is. So listen then to and for the word of the Lord as the Lord shares this vision with Amos and the people of Israel. Then he showed me another vision, says Amos. I saw the Lord standing beside a wall that had been built using a plumb line. He was using a plumb line to see if it was still straight. And the Lord said to me, Amos, what do you see? I answered, a plumb line. And he replied, I will test my people with this plumb line. I will no longer ignore all their sin. The pagan shrines of your ancestors will be ruined and the temples of Israel will be destroyed. I will bring the dynasty of King Jeroboam to a sudden end. The word of the Lord. You see, it is an amazing thing that God, in God's holiness, He's going to test the people of Israel. The image of the plumb line is also used in Isaiah in almost the same way when God shows up with a plumb line into the city. And he's going to measure how straight the buildings are standing, how straight are the walls, how straight are the structures. If we look back to our wall back there that Ms. Larson and a couple of other individuals from the worship design team did, it doesn't look that straight. Look at it. It looks a little lopsided. Well, people, it was done that way intentionally. 
It was done that way intentionally because that well has gone through thousands of years. Earthquakes. How many bombs have been thrown against those walls? We don't know. In every army that tries to usurp the city of Jerusalem. So the walls kind of reflect that tiredness of it. But in this occasion, God is coming to the people and God wants to measure the people's lives. Oh, my, my. If he's going to measure mine, I don't want. Actually, there is a, a field in, in, in medicine, some would say. Uh, it's called chiropractic, and they use the plumb line. A chiropractor will use a plumb line to stand you against the plumb line and see how straight or how not your back is according to. And it gives the, that uh, uh, medical professional some ideas on how to deal with your back or not. Now, the plumb line is used in, ver- in various aspects of the, of, the, of the scriptures, but here it is specifically to measure the sins of Israel. And these were the sins of Israel. Very simple. It was idolatry. Idolatry is a substitution. Listen to this. Idolatry, listen to this very carefully. Idolatry is a substitution of your passions. Whatever makes you passionate, whatever makes you spend time with and for, whatever encourages you, whatever that could be a God. I'm not talking about a good job that encourages you the fact that you like to help people. No. I'm talking about whatever steals your passion away from God. That is idolatry. Whatever takes away your attention from God, that is idolatry. Whatever takes your pocketbook away from God, that is idolatry. Whatever makes you give more attention, more time. And you know, in those days, they were talking about little idols of Baal. And if you go to the, to the archaeology page that I enjoy in Biblical Archaeology magazine that I get online, if you go to the homes of old Israel, Back in the days before the, 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 um, they were taken off hostages or prisoners to, to Babylon and Assyria of the exile, you find the Jewish symbols along with bells, different kinds of little gods. They were covering off the, you know, kind of the fields. However, when you go to those archaeological sites of homes that were built after the exile, after the 70 year of exile in, in a foreign land, away from what they love the most, you don't find those little bales. So monotheism really took root after the exile in the people of Israel. It was religious gods. What are our gods today? Can we mention, can I open it to, just briefly in this one section, can I open it up? What are our gods today? Can I hear it? Cell phone, internet, what else? Huh? Athletics, yes. Media. Huh? Social media could be our gods today. Money is actually, you know that Jesus spoke more against money than against hell or in favor of heaven. Jesus' main competition was not the devil. Jesus' main competition was money. And how you handle it. Because it becomes our God. Think about it. Meditate. Reflect on it. How many activities do you dedicate to the day to make money? How is your day arranged? And then we're not satisfied with that. Let me mention the biggest God that we have and we don't even talk about it because none of us mentioned it. And we're a trinity. Me, myself, and I. 
Oh, we didn't talk about that trinity. Me, myself, and I. Think about how we worship ourselves. I'm not talking about getting a nice hair done. Okay, no, no. I mean, a painful one like you do. <laughs> and, and then when May shows up with just her, her threads done, she's not supposed to laugh. So that's when we have all the jokes out for May. Like that lady back there, she's not supposed to laugh, and she's holding on. <laughs> but you see, me, myself, and I, how are we our own gods? Think about that. How do we dedicate time? I'm not talking about bathing. I'm thinking about excessiveness of self, endless, unsatisfying, feeding our ego, feeding our ego. What will others say if I show up with this? Who cares? That means that you're your own God. If you use that phrase, what will others say? Check yourself. Because you're more important than others. And that's not what Jesus proclaims. The second sin was not idolatry. So, so the people of Israel didn't make it there. Do we make it there? Do we make the standard there? No, we have our own gods. So we don't meet the standard there. Secondly, they had the sin of oppression. Injustices. Oh, we love that one. We just call it poverty. We justify it biblically by saying, oh, the Lord says we will always have the poors with us. So let's make them poorer. We justify injustice over injustice. And if I would stand here mentioning all the injustices that are committed in the name of my own country, I would not be here for long because most of you don't even know about them. But it is sad and sick to even think that our nation is a Christian nation when it's far from it. When our biggest sin is the sin of, of prejudice and discrimination. That's our biggest sin in this country. Ask anybody from out here or just listen to the news lately. That's what it is. While Jesus died for equality and for justice, we will die to separate and divide us. For Jesus, for God, holiness is intermingled with justice. You cannot separate holiness of God from the justice of God. Oppression of others. We don't honor others as equal as are because somehow we, each, each of us think that we're better than the other. And yes, we are. We're better sinners than the others. Yes, we are. We're better devils than the other. Yes, we are worse off if we think that way. The third sin in which the people of Israel were involved was not only the, the sin of, of idolatry, the sin of injustice and oppression, thinking that they were better than everybody else, but the one that we experienced this morning, a little bit of it, not all of us, but the sin of vain, worthless worship. When we rebelled five, six hundred years ago, we were rebelling against the meaningless, heartless ritualism of churches. We were rebelling against the going away of the word of God. And yet we are there again 500 years later. We are with the same vain, traditional, ritualistic that we come to church, we do a confession, a prayer, and we don't even have consciousness, awareness of how to deal with it when we see it written in front of us because we're just moving through the pages because it means nothing to each one of us. And if it means nothing to us, 
What does it mean to God? Stay home. Watch CNN. You probably get more from that. I'm serious. Don't pretend before God. God knows our heart. God knows our intentions. God knows our superficiality in worship. God knows our vanity. Even before we know it ourselves. That's why we're learning to pray, my dear sister. Lord, show Edwin. Edwin. Lord, show me. Me. And now that I'm aware, I can then move on. Because if I am dealing with idolatry in my life, which I am, I'm dealing with injustice, which I am, and I'm dealing with superficiality, which I am, that's what we all are about. But guess what? Did we make it in idolatry? No. Did we meet the standard in in oppression? Oh, self-righteousness. Did we meet the standard in oppression? No. Did we meet the standard then in, in righteousness? No. Did we meet the standard in terms of superficial worship? No. Oh, we're doomed. But Jeremiah reminds us, the Lord is our righteousness. And then listen to to, to what Paul says in finishing. For For our sake, for your sake, for my sake, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be seen who knew no sin so that in him we might become, we might be, we may experience the righteousness of God. We are made righteous. We are, we fit the wall. We meet the standard, not because of ourselves, but because of Jesus who is our standard, but because of Jesus who is the plumb line. Paul continues, for we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. And this is true for everyone who believes no matter who they are. For everyone has sinned, falls short of the glorious standard of God. Yet God freely and graciously declares that we are righteous. We are straight. We make it with a plumb line. He did this so that Christ Jesus, when he freed us from the penalty of our sins, so that no one may boast, we are made right with God. Did you hear that? We are made right with God. We are holy in Jesus Christ. Oh, the word holy refers to the idea of God's purity. But guess what? We don't have it. But in Jesus Christ, it is given to us. And this is how we relate to one another, not only to God. We are made right with God. Because of Jesus. We are part of the family of God because he brought us into my new birth. We make the standard through him because he fulfilled it all. And in him we are found. The prophet continues in chapter 9 of Amos. Are you going to be stiff necks, proud, unmovable, insensitive to God, rejecting God's prompting in your lives? Lying to yourselves. God says in chapter 9, he closes and says, I will restore the fallen homes. I will build up what's fallen. I will repair. I will bring together. I will firmly plant. And I will restore your fortunes. 
You see? It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us the wisdom of God. That is, he is our righteousness. Jesus is your holiness. And Jesus is your redemption. To the glory of God. Amen.